Get ready to listen, learn, and earn CE hours. This podcast features content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Welcome back to episode two of Facts and Myths About Suicide. I'm Dr. Candice Pierce for Calibri Healthcare. In episode one, we discuss the statistics and common misconceptions about suicide. In this episode, we will be joining Dr. Reg and Leanna to continue the discussion of the risk factors and to learn some strategies on how to assess someone's risk of committing suicide. As a reminder, this podcast series does contain content that may be alarming for some listeners regarding mental illness and self-harm. We at Calibri Healthcare developed this content to be educational and genuine in our approach to bringing attention to mental illness from a healthcare provider's perspective. But because of the sensitive topics being discussed, we recommend this podcast series for adults only. Now let's rejoin Dr. Reg and Leanna. In social factors, um, living alone is one that is really dangerous because they're, they're, they're by themselves, no one to talk with. And one of the things I know about people that are feeling suicidal is they need to get their feelings out. And if they have no one else to talk with, they just sit there and they just start ruminating about the same thought over and over and over, and then eventually say, you know what, I'm better off dead. And of course that's never true, but that's how they feel. Um, if they've had a loss of a loved one, I would say that in the people I've treated for depression, especially college students, usually they've had a breakup in relationship that actually sort of was the precipitant that got them in to seek treatment because they just felt so awful over the breakup. But uh, certainly a loss of, 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 of a relationship is um is really profound or they had a loss of a family member that really sent them in a downward spiral and those two things can be really sure. serious in terms of uh increasing suicidal thought um family history uh could be a factor um there's some question whether there is a genetic uh factor that that puts a person more at risk for suicide uh, that can happen, uh, but uh, some families uh, actually have a sense of permission uh, to for suicide in other family members, and so that could be a contributor. It's it's hard to know, uh, and it's hard to think that that you know you're suicidal because of a genetic factor, but it could be possible, and um, and you know that's very very difficult to research because the work that's been done has been on people that have already died, not before. And right. you, know, you, right. you can't, there's no absolute model that you can say if they have these factors, therefore they're going to complete suicide. It doesn't exist. And so okay. that's what makes this whole area so difficult because there are no absolutes in it in that sense. So. Now, uh, when you say sense of permission, in other words, it's been, uh, you know, dad 
committed suicide, grandpa committed suicide, uncle committed suicide. It's, you know, it's acceptable or it's a... Um, must be the way it is. Yeah. Must be the way it is. It's the way to cope when things get, when things get to that point. This is how we deal with it. You got okay. it. Okay. Yeah, right on. Got it. Okay. And uh, you were mentioning when you said the unemployed or unskilled worker, it's related to that sense of worth or value. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if or you're, if, you know, you can, well, imagine, you know, if you are having a heck of a time finding a job, what is it going to do to your self-esteem? Mm. And, you know, it's going to create that, that little paradigm that I gave you earlier when I said, why do people become suicidal? Well, loss of sense of self, you know, which then leads to loss of prestige and worth and, and, and uh, value. You can just see how it just sets that whole paradigm up in a person's mind to then become very seriously suicidal. Um, I have a, I do have a, a question, or maybe it's a comment, but you can address it, is when we talked about marital status, and you said that single was twice that of people who were married, or people who had a spouse or had children. I've often heard the comment when someone has committed suicide, and they have a family. Okay, I wanted to circle back on something related to marital status. And you mentioned that people who are single are twice uh, twice more likely than people who are married or have family and children. Um, and I often hear if someone is, has completed suicide and they have a family, I often hear people say, how could they be that selfish? How do you feel about that verbiage of selfish? Yeah. I mean, I, I understand how people can make that statement. Uh, cause the, you, what you have to keep in mind when someone is really seriously thinking of suicide, what it, what happens in their thinking is that they really frame it. Oh, you know, everyone is going to be so better off with me dead because I am such a burden to this family. I brought discredit to the family. Look what I've done you know, these kinds of things that they will go through and they literally convince themselves. So it's not selfishness. It's literally they th they're thinking everyone's going to be better off with me dead. So one of the things that right. I do with patients when I'm talking about them, uh, I will often bring that up and say, you know, have you thought that your family or your friends would be better off with you dead? And they might say, yes. And I say, well, let me assure you, under no circumstances ever, ever will they be better off with you dead. Do you understand? They will live with that for the rest of their days. It will never go away. And that's what you would be leaving your family, your friends, whoever it is that's important to you. And that boy, right. I, I literally have had, when I've had to do that, and I don't have to do that very often, but I've had to do it a few times. I've had the patient say to me, oh, goodness, I didn't think of it that way. Because, see, they're so focused on their pain that they are in. And believe me, when they tell you how much pain they're in, they are. They are absolutely miserable. I mean, they just feel to the core of their being of just how miserable they feel. They feel hopeless. Nothing's ever going to get better. And so, oh, I, I've got to be better off dead. Well, they're never, they never are. And so hopefully that right. corrects that idea that, that um, 
that they're being selfish because they really are not. Right. I'm so glad that you said that because I've often thought the same thing, that it's not selfish from their perspective. So now from a clinical perspective, uh, for nurses listening to this interview, what's the best way to interview a suicidal patient? We talked about depression in another podcast, but someone who's truly suicidal, what is the best Mm -hmm. way? Well, the one thing that, uh, as a nurse, and, and uh, we'll make the assumption that the nurse doesn't have a psych background, but is dealing with a patient who they pick up with all some of these factors that we've talked about that put them at high risk, and they're worried, they need to talk to the patient about that. And so, if ever any nurse ever is dealing with a patient, and nurses are good at this. They, they, can, they can have it in their gut to say, something's not right here. I'm worried about this person. I've seen it over and over and over. I worked in ICU and nurses could pick up on when a patient was going to die when no one else, no physician could see it because they're that skilled. So I know the skill that nurses hold in terms of picking up on something that's there. And so how do, you, how do you approach it? Well, what's most important is that you always have a plan for a backup. So that's the first thing, to always know that if, if I assess that this person is suicidal, I'm calling in resources. I'm calling in help. I'm not going to deal with this myself. Never put yourself in the position of trying to determine is this person really at risk of suicide? If you picked up that they said, yes, I am thinking about it, then call in the resources because that you don't want to have just you trying to make that determination. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is, is before you get into talking with the patient about suicidal thought, is you got to establish rapport with the patient. You can't mm-hmm. just jump in and say, well, are you thinking about killing yourself? Because it can be very off-putting if you have not built some kind of rapport with that patient. But if they have a sense that you are being empathetic, that's a key, being empathetic to the person, but also that you're showing concern, they will answer you honestly. They will tell you whether they're thinking about it or not. But if you don't have that, then that's a problem. One of the things that I, I get very concerned about within the healthcare system, you know, when you are in a clinic and because of the paperwork that, that uh, practitioners and nurses and anybody, any, any provider has to do, well, they're sitting there on the, on the laptop or the computer with their back to you. How do you build right. rapport with your back to the patient? You don't. I know. And so you got to turn that, that chair around and stop worrying about the charting. Worry about the patient that's in front of you. That's what you need to be concerned about. So you can't build rapport with your back to the patient. So that's another factor. But once you've established that, what I recommend is that, you know, you approach them in an empathetic, but sort of first circumscript, circumscript. Uh, way or cir- circumspect way so that they're not just getting it boom you know hit in the face so you know 
talk with them about what's going on in their life, you know, what's been happening for you, you know, how's work gone, blah, 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 that kind of thing, where you're, you're building rapport with that person. The one thing is so important that I always tell nurses when they're ask, asking about how do I approach about suicide is for goodness sakes, be yourself. Don't try to sound uh, like yes. a textbook. Don't try to sound like a phony. Mm. Patients will th- see through you in a heartbeat. If you're not real, they yeah. will not tell you what's going on in their head. So you got to be real with them. That's so critical. So w- what I think is always important is to proceed from the general questions and go to the more specific. So you go from the general to the specific. You can start out with things like, and, and these are my words, but, but I think what you want to do is think about how would you ask this to a patient and use your words, not necessarily these, but these will give you hints as to how you could go about it. You might say to them, you know, how badly or hopeless do you feel? You know, just that question alone uh, will, will start to open up uh, where they're going to be honest with you as, as to what, what's going on with them, that kind of thing. Um, you could ask them, were things so bad that you were thinking a lot about death or that you would be better off dead? Some patients find it easier to talk about death than to just go to the word suicide. It's too sort of shocking. And so you can use the word death. You know, it works. It works very well. And they will get to it where they will tell you. Or you could ask them, are you feeling so bad that sometimes you would prefer not to go on living? Another way to ask it, to get at the same thing. Or what about thinking of hurting yourself? Uh, That's another way, you know, because they hurting themselves could be anywhere from hanging to, you know, taking a knife, I'm going to cut my wrist, that kind of thing. Um, if thing, if you are thinking of killing yourself, how would you do it? And Uh, lastly, are you thinking of killing yourself? I think you need to ask that question. If you really are, they're kind of him hawing, they're going around in a circle. You need to ask it straight and you, and you have to ask it matter of fact, matter of fact, and don't never, oh good Lord, the one thing never to do is pass judgment. Or say to the patient, you know what? You have a good life. You have no reason to kill yourself. Oh, good gracious, don't ever say that. That is not effective whatsoever. But I've literally heard people do that, and it is not helpful. You will turn the patient off so badly by doing such a thing because you're passing judgment and you can't be judgmental. That is really important. So, those are just some, some ideas yeah. in terms of how you can approach it. But the bottom line is never ignore it. Never, ever. And if, if you are having a hard time asking, then call someone else to have them ask it. All you want to do is make sure that you have assessed it before that patient leaves your spaces. That's what's most important. You know, it's interesting that you brought that up because I've heard clinicians do that in the past and say, you know, you have so much to live for. You've got this, you've got that, you've got this. And I, you know, I, 
it always kind of, it's a little cringeworthy because that person is not seeing the positive in those things. I'm so glad that you brought that up. Um, also, when, you, when you're asking the question about how badly or hopeless are they feeling, is it okay to use a, a scale of 1 to 10 on that like we do with pain? Or is sure. it better to have a subjective Absolutely. answer? Okay. Yep. I've, I've done that too, where I, I want to get a handle on just how hopeless are they. And I've had people tell me, you know, I'm, I'm a 10. I feel totally hopeless. And, and boy, you, then okay. you've got an answer. Yeah, it definitely. If you're trying to weigh it, uh, certainly ask that. That is quite, quite acceptable to, in my mind. Uh, and patients, you know, will respond. Right. Because if you're sending the message, you're concerned about them, they will answer you honestly. They really will. And I've been fortunate when okay. I had to deal with someone that was suicidal in front of me as to what in the world am I going to do? And I'm not going to ignore it. That is for sure. So going back to, so what did you do after, let's say they say, yes, I'm thinking of killing myself and two, I've got a very specific plan. What do you do? Well, there's where you say, you know what? Uh, I don't want you to harm yourself. Uh, if, If you were on the road bleeding, I would not just drive by you and let you bleed to death. Nor am I going to just let you go and kill yourself when we can do something about it. So I'm going to call for help and we're going to get this further evaluated to make sure that you stay safe. The most important thing is that we keep you safe. And that is okay to say. And, and that can be, you know, I've seen it where the patient is at. You can get a sense of relief on their part that it's like, oh, finally it's out. It's out in the open. I've now admitted to it, you know, maybe I will get the help I really think I need. And again, remember that whole thing about about suicide. It's the part of them that wants to die, and there's the other part of them that wants to live. That ambivalence that they are experiencing, I go to the ambivalence of wanting to live, not the part of wanting to die. And so I lean to that ambivalence. And make sure that I've done everything I can to get them the assistance they need to get it further evaluated to then either be put in the hospital. And then I think one of the other points that I would make, um, and this is where nurses don't sometimes think about it, as part of their practice code, along with their state licensure, they cannot ignore someone who is telling them they're suicidal. You cannot do that right. by your practice. And so you are licensed to make right. sure that you would never allow or, or make it permissible for the patient to go out and commit suicide or complete suicide. So that's what I think is important. It's very important. Yes. Thank you for that reminder. Now, just a few um, kind of indirect questions or different questions for you related to suicide. I know that on occasion when someone has committed suicide, people will say, well, at least they are no longer suffering. And actually, that was the patient's ultimate goal to begin with. So when treatment plans are completely exhausted, uh, we ever feel this from a personal perspective as well? Or do we label each um, completed suicide as a failure from a professional perspective? Well, um, certainly, if 
if there was all kinds of warning signs and you ignored them, uh, you know, you really have not fulfilled your role as an effective practitioner. Uh, and so, yeah, right. it would, it would, it could really be very damaging to you if you got into that position. But if you've done everything in your power to make sure that this patient stays safe, you can always feel that you've done everything you can possibly do. Now, again, I, I don't carry a, a, a big caseload. Uh, you know, I, I've not done that the whole time because, you know, much of my career has been in teaching and research. Um, but I certainly have carried a small caseload of patients I've treated. I've never lost a patient. I don't knock on wood, uh, you know, that I've never had that happen. And I hope by the time I'm done seeing patients that it never will, uh, cause I certainly don't want that for me. And I've, I've had patients that were very suicidal and I took the appropriate steps uh and and called in the resources i don't do this by myself i don't make the decision if i've got someone that i think is really very likely to complete suicide i'm going to send them to the hospital and the university of michigan as an example has a procedure so that if i if i as a provider assess that i literally send them to the psych er so the psych emergency room where they will be further evaluated and then they will be hospitalized if they are really that much of a serious suicidal risk. Every time I've done that, hasn't been a lot of times, but I've certainly done it, they've been hospitalized because the staff picked up on exactly what I was picking up on, that this person was really dangerous. And, uh, and we, you know, thank goodness I got them over to there to get it further evaluated but I didn't rest just to me to make that decision, if that makes sense. And I would tell any nurse that's out there practicing, never put yourself in the position that you are the sole decision-making as to how much risk they are. If you're worried, get them further evaluated. That's what's important. And, and call in the resources that are available to you in the healthcare system. And believe me, everyone has a sigh of relief knowing that you did that. And that's important. And how do we support each other in our profession if we do lose a patient? What should we do for ourselves? Well, one of the things that, that oftentimes happens uh, in the healthcare system is there's uh, sort of a, a, an evaluation of what went on in terms of this uh -huh. patient uh, leaving and, uh, and then ended up dying. Uh, that they will really reevaluate, go, go over it, you know, and everyone not to blame. It's not never to blame. It's a matter of literally trying to figure out wh what could have been done differently and people learning from that experience. So there's, there's always a, a, an evaluation that will happen if, if a patient does actually complete suicide. So that's not atypical. And that can be very supportive to the nurse because you know, they're devastated. The nurse, the nurse that has this happen to them. Sure. Oh, good Lord. That is just devastating. And so they need support in yeah. dealing with their feelings about this loss. And so that's what's important. So the same applies to the staff members, you know, empathy and understanding and support is something that goes hand in hand. So as we take care of patients, we also need to take mm. care of ourselves too. That goes both ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know we, we touched on how 
suicide is more common in like a, a permission in a family that has had a lot of suicides, for example. And I'm sure that there are some cultures that uh, feel differently about it than others. But um, what do you feel is behind our drive to save those who genuinely really don't want to be saved? Or do you feel that they always have an element that, um, that wants that? on some level? Is it social bias? Is it our religious beliefs? Is it just our culture? What are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, it's a, it, that's an interesting question. Uh, it's one that, you know, there's any number of factors that probably could uh, affect it. Um, you know, one of the things, and of course I come, my, my perspective on it to sort of answer your question to some degree, is that that I don't think anyone is truly, truly bent to kill themselves. There is some element in them that still wants to live. It's just that they are feeling so hopeless that they don't think there's any way out. And uh, and so I don't want to go to to that stage. Um, You know, some religions believe that suicide is wrong. Well, one right. of the things that I always tell students and any nurse, doesn't matter, student or not, you have no right to impose your religious beliefs on your patient. You're there to take care of the patient, not take care of your religious beliefs. Right. So bringing in religion is totally, totally inappropriate. And I would never, and if, if you can't let that go, then turn it over to someone else that can. Because religion is not come in here to say, well, you're wrong. You, you, you are committing a sin. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> that is all you've done is remember that guilt that they're operating with, with their depression and feeling so hopeless, that they're feeling so guilty. You know, they're imposing all this on their family and their family would be so much better off of them dead and all that stuff. And then you put religion on top of that. You just made him feel even more mm-hmm. guilty. And, right. oh, good yeah. Lord, that could be just disastrous, just disastrous. So, for whatever that's worth. Yeah, no, that's a good answer. I'm glad that you said that. I, I'm just curious if you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share. Anything that we really need to remember or keep in our back pockets when we're dealing with these patients who, who are brought to the hospital or outside outpatient who we're assessing? What are the mm-hmm. important things that we need to remember? Probably one that I would, uh, would emphasize is that sometimes a patient, uh, and I've seen this more on inpatient units, where they will take uh, a, a nurse and, and they'll say, you know, I'll tell you about my thoughts only if you agree to never tell anybody, keep it a secret. Yeah. Never ever agree to that never because you don't know what they're what they're about to reveal to you and if anything my response to that patient would be i can't agree to that because i'm here to make sure that you stay safe and if i determine that you're telling me that you're not safe i can't keep that as a secret i have to let the system and, and, and others in the unit here to know. And, and that's how you deal with that. So you never, ever agree to keeping a secret. I think what's most important 
is that if you send the message that you are concerned about them, that you do not want them to harm themselves, and you're going to do everything in your power to make sure that they stay safe, that gives them a sense of hope. Because right now, they don't feel safe. They, don't, they know that they are really in trouble, but they don't know how to get out of it. And so you, you don't right. want to put them in the position of, well, I'm going to solve the problem um, in this way. No, it's a matter of you taking command of the situation and helping the patient get the resources that they absolutely need. And if it takes someone else to reevaluate the person as to how suicidal they are, then let that happen. And, and call in the resources that you have available to you. If, let's say, you're so afraid that the patient uh, is actually, while you leave the room to go call in resources, they're going to do anything, well, go to the door and yell for help. You know, in other words, don't leave the patient alone. Uh, you know, it would be a simple way to, to address that if that ever happened. Um, I give an example of, 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 uh, of what happened to us this was some years ago, and um, a colleague and I were teaching a class together, and we had a teaching assistant that was helping with the class. Really neat, neat woman, uh, really doing, doing an exceptional job as being a teaching assistant. And we had taught the class, and things really went well, and we were talking after class had ended. And the student, she was a graduate student, uh, made a comment that both of us, my colleague and I, looked at each other and said, what did she just say? And it was like, there was something that she said that made her sound suicidal. So guess what we did? Wow. We had a rapport with her. We'd worked with her for that whole term. And we said, wait a minute. Are you feeling like you want to kill yourself? And I don't know that we asked it that way. We, we might have gone through a little more of what I just described in terms of, you know, are you thinking you'd be better off dead? I think that was really what we asked her. And she said, yes. And we said, oh, wow. How would you kill yourself? And she said, well, I had plans of leaving here and I was going to drive into a bridge abutment. And it's like, oh, my God. She's got a very serious plan here. We need, to, we need to act on this. Well, luckily, my colleague had a car where it was kind of a bench seat. So we decided we were putting her in the middle of it uh, so that she couldn't jump out of the car because we, we were really so worried about how suicidal she truly was. We took her right over to the psych ER. They admitted her. And, uh, and it was such a relief. And she later came back to us and said, thanked us up one side and down the other and said, had you ignored that? Had you just, I had every plan to drive into that bridge and I would have killed myself. <laughs> wow. Good. And if that wasn't sobering, I don't know what would be, uh, but it, yeah. it truly, you know, it was one of those moments in your life where you said, I did the right thing. And we did. And she did fine Absolutely. after that. She got treatment, what she needed. She was very depressed. And, uh, and we found all that out after. And, um, and so it was, it was such a relief to know. But she was covering it. She, you know, if you talk to her, happy as a little lark, you know, happy as all get out. Oh, no, that was, a hot, that, was, that was a 
Academy performance. And it wasn't true. Wow. So, I'm so glad you shared that uh, with us because it really speaks to um, not ignoring those statements. I think sometimes we think I couldn't have heard that right or, oh, it's just me and we don't address those issues. But that was the perfect story to share as we wrap up this podcast. I am, uh, I'm so grateful, as I know our listeners will be, for you sharing this information on suicide and sharing your expertise with us again. Uh, it's such valuable information, great reminders for us in our clinical practice. Please turn your computers around for rapport and to be able to express true empathy because we can't do it when we're not looking at our patients. Um, so thank you so much, Dr. Williams. We really appreciate the time that you've spent with us. This has been a great experience. You are so welcome, and it was my pleasure. All right. We hope you've enjoyed this episode with Dr. Reg Williams. Again, we encourage you to explore all the courses that we have available at elearning.com to help you in your career, and we appreciate you listening. This is Leanna McGuire for Equilibri Healthcare. Thank you for joining us for this podcast series. Through this series, we hope you've been able to dismiss some common misconceptions about suicide and replace them with some facts to understand the risk factors of suicide and to take away some helpful strategies in evaluating someone who may be showing signs of thinking about suicide. I know this is a difficult topic for many of us to discuss with our patients, but it is an important assessment of patient safety. If you or someone you know is struggling with thoughts of taking their life or you're in an immediate health crisis, please call or text the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. This line is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you will be connected to trained counselors who can provide support and resources. You can also find more resources through the National Alliance for Mental Health, also known as NAMI, at www.nami.org, or by calling or texting 1-800-950-6264. You can keep your learning going by finding additional podcasts and other educational resources on EliteLearning.com. This is Candace Pierce for Calibri Healthcare. This podcast featured content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Take your learning to the next level by subscribing to more podcasts on compelling healthcare topics.